Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoyas basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and once again, joined with my guys to talk mainly about the bracket. I got Howie Wachtel and John Hawks. Guys, what's up? What's up, Bobby? Oh, thank God. I've been on hold for nine days, Bobby. I know. It's been tough. It's been tough. So we're going to focus a lot about the bracket, and I know that there's some pretty good matchups to dissect. First, though, we had our first um, – the other night, I don't know if you guys watched the Jordan documentary. Did you guys start episodes one and two? Yep. Yep. So that was kind of like the first big we can all unite. I don't count the NBA, WNBA horse competition. I tried to watch that. It was really bad. But the Jordan documentary, everyone's really excited about the last dance, the last season – and you can tell me if I'm being too sensitive. Maybe I am. But in the first half hour, if you're a Georgetown fan, right, you see Pippin posterize Ewing. And you also get to relive the 1982 NCAA final, which we all know how it goes. Of course, ESPN decided on this particular um, documentary to pretend that Jordan hit like a buzzer beater, which obviously it's not what happened. But what do you guys think about coming from a Georgetown view of it just you get hit over the head real quick right i'll also add for equal opportunity's sake in one of the montages alonzo morning gets dunked on too i missed that luckily yeah no he's, he's in a montage too are you guys feeling uh, what i'm what i'm trying to put down i'll, I'll be honest i mean I, I i saw it i didn't feel good about it <laughs> uh we didn't look good as a program in those first few clips at the same time, I was kind of like, oh, this just reminds me that Michael Jordan played in college for three years. And, yeah, he won a national championship. He went to one Final Four. And Patrick Ewing played for four years, and he went to three Final Fours and three national championships. So I felt pretty okay. good about that. I definitely need to start texting you when I'm having these moments, okay? <laughs> um, and then this came up on Twitter, and I engaged a little bit. And it's something that a couple of us have talked about over the years is can you imagine after that championship game or the next season to think that at some point, and now Patrick Ewing's coaching. So he's, he's wearing the gear. Obviously Jordan is a phenomenon and he's just, he's bigger than actual the sport. But the fact that a guy that hit a shot to cost Georgetown national title is now on all of their uniforms. That just on some level that that's kind of weird, right? It's a little weird, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's the Jumpman branch. You could be just Nike, but you could also specifically jump be Jumpman too. Right. That's, that's not like one of the three. Like on, on Twitter the next day, that's like one of the three kind of main sort of random takeaways from the the first two parts of the documentary, being like, you know, people incredulous about Scottie Pippen's contract, right? And then the varying levels of brown liquor that Michael Jordan was consuming during his interview shots. Um, yeah. And then the whole, like, yeah, wait, why is Patrick Ewing wearing Jumpman clothing? Why is Georgetown, of all things, sponsored by Jumpman? Like, I don't know. Like, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? And, like, we're probably overblowing, like, this is some kind of negative thing. But, yeah, I mean, you sort of have to roll your eyes and grin and bear it whenever, like, the early 80s come up. Because it's almost sort of like ESPN or the sports culture at large just conveniently skips over 1984. Like, as if that never happened, right? I, I watched that game the other day on youtube you did the 84 title i've honestly never watched it from start to finish and i didn't like you know watch it just only that but
But Georgetown gets down 10 to 2. I can only imagine what Twitter would be doing right now if Georgetown was in the national championship game and was down 10 2 immediately. Well, I don't know, but w- well done on the Michael Jordan shots reference. I like that. Yeah. Um, so but no, right? I mean, the Jordan brand obviously is cool and it's a big deal and you want to, you want to be a part of that. And kids that are going to be the kids that want to wear that uniform, you know, they, they probably don't even know that history. So I'm showing my age a little bit, even though I'm not old enough to have experienced the Ewing years when he was playing at Georgetown, but it just, you know, if you think of big time players and if they end up on their other uniform of a team that they beat, it just, it just conceptually, it just seems kind of weird, but I get it. Yeah, again, I mean, publicity is good publicity. People are noticing. And also, I don't know if you looked at the his, the history of um, how this doc how this documentary was made, but oh yeah, one of the interviews they had with with Michael, he they said the the director of The Last Dance also happened to be the same person who directed the Iverson documentary, mm-hmm. and he mentioned that to Michael Jordan. He wasn't sure which way he would take it, and Michael Jordan said. I love that little guy. I watched that documentary a few times, so it made me feel good too. I think it. I, th- I think he said it made him cry. Well, that's not saying much for him. I know. I know. Um, okay, I'll stop bringing up uh, Georgetown related items to the Jordan documentary, which I cannot wait for the next couple of episodes. I feel like they were really laying the groundwork, and hopefully, we're going to get a lot of crazy stuff in the next eight episodes. So I let's go to the brackets. What's Bob, up? Bob, actually, before you go, I want to ask you one thing, because the, the, the whole thing with the Jumpman brand, it actually does bring up to me an interesting question, right? I mean, okay. the, the obvious, one of the obvious takeaways from this documentary is the humongous cultural impact that Michael Jordan had, both during his playing career and in the you know, 20 years since he retired, right? Or 20 yeah. years pre-Wizards, right? Give or take a Wizards tenure. Yeah. Um, what, is, what is Patrick Ewing's cultural impact? Right. I think I remember one of the first podcasts you did, one of the questions I threw out to you guys is, you know, one of the supposed benefits of hiring a Patrick Ewing was, look, we're hiring this guy with, you know, a long NBA career, some cachet as an assistant coach, all these connections, but also to some degree a cultural impact that should be appealing to young players. You know, give or take, you know, your mileage may vary on whether somebody who, you know, had his quote of glory years during the nineteen nineties still appeals to younger players, but I think the point I was trying to ask you guys about, you know, several months ago was you really feel like there's any sort of like bump that we're still getting from having Patrick Ewing as our coach. Um, so I think he's been on record a couple times as saying that. And I think JT three had this issue as well, or not issue, but he had the same, not on Patrick Ewing's level, but he had the same thing where Patrick Ewing really impresses the parents right and the coaches because they're the ones that lived in the moment when he was dominating and that doesn't necessarily trickle down to the kids as much as i think a lot of people were hoping as far as bringing in big names right like five stars four stars all that kind of stuff um i know that there was a lot of talk where jt3 would win the parents over and then, you know, are you cool enough to get the kids? I'm not saying Patrick Ewing is not cool, but I don't think that his presence is a big enough deal for the kids because they're just, they have no, they didn't watch him play. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, probably. What have you yeah, got? I, I was just. Yeah, I was just, just going to say. I mean, what what Patrick Ewing has called that is just like the space the Space Jam effect. The kids these days know that he was in Space Jam. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it's the parents who were, you know idolized him when he was younger. I just I just think it's it's there, there's definitely um, a bump that we get uh, to this day having Patrick Ewing uh, as as head coach just from from recognition from a recognition perspective. That said. It really is tough to kind of uh, distinguish Patrick Ewing uh, and his legacy from John Thompson Jr. and his legacy and just the force that the Georgetown program was throughout the 1980s. Um, And then there's also Patrick Ewing's impact as one of the biggest New York sports icons for the better part of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, Our friend Ben Standing had a pretty good article in The Athletic I think it just came out about Mac McClung. He had an interview with him and I'm not going to spoil it. Ben couldn't be on today and we'll talk in depth to him at some point. And it's a great, you know, I encourage everyone to subscribe to the athletic, but one of the things that McClung mentioned about Ewing was, wow. You know, when we go to New York, it's like, you know, Patrick Ewing is the man. So it sounds like at least regionally in New York, which is, you know, one of the better places in the world to be, you know, a big time guy, Patrick Ewing's name is still a big deal up there. Yeah, his look, his name was was chanted when we had that win against Texas at the Garden this past year. Uh and for the for the better part of that first half against Duke at the Garden, you know, it was like he had never left. Okay. Well, hopefully uh gave you a little bit more there, John, than I did on the podcast a couple of months ago. I can't, I can't, certainly can't dispute that. Having lots of friends who grew up in the New York area, been New York sports fans, I can't dispute Patrick's, you know, continuing cultural relevance there. I, there's probably a topic for another podcast or another time about whether winning New York City really matters anymore. But that's that's for another time. I, yeah. I think you know my stance that I would love it to happen in uh, like early March. You yeah, know? No, maybe maybe like <laughs> two or three wins in. Yeah. Maybe it gets like a Friday night or so. Yeah. You can win that yeah. Friday night. You can appear on that Friday night, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, guys. So there's a lot of debate going on with some of the matchups. We have three I think we're going to highlight here. Do you want to start with the madness bracket of we got the 2007 win over Pitt matched up against the 2013 win over Notre Dame? Um how, if you could summarize real quick, the seeds and everything involved here. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is a, I think we said it was a five versus 12 matchup. Um, so the, the, the five seed um, was Notre Dame. So this was our win in, in 2013. The game was at Purcell Pavilion. Uh, it was, I think our second conference win of of the season this was the beginning part of that that run in the 2012-2013 season uh, leading all the way to the championship and then the Pittsburgh game the 12th seed um, was one versus two in the conference it was late February 2007 uh, shortly before we clinched the Big East regular season title and then moved on to win the Big East championship and had that rematch against Pitt in the championship game. And, and, this... and at the outset, before, before, before John jumps in, 
these are probably these are these are these are probably misseeded a bit. You could you can certainly make the case that um, Pittsburgh got robbed as a 12 seed and uh, uh, and the Notre Dame game. Unless this is a, this may be a six versus eleven. I just I don't recall off the top of my head. It's but, a, looks like it's um, a five twelve. Either, either way, um, you could certainly make the case that Pitts, that Pittsburgh game lives a little higher in the memories of Georgetown fans. How did this go for the voting? Do we know? I, I I think this one split between the casual Twitter poll and the, and the website actually. Okay. Well, this is kind of what you want your five twelve to be, right? I mean, this is seems like the point of the whole tournament. Yeah. Right. Let's you want you want your yeah. You want your five twelve matchup to be. Right there until the buzzer. Okay, John, let's get to it. What is your big problem here? Yeah, no, I'm, I am as, as I'm, I'm laughing as I say this. But I'm as hopping <laughs> mad as you can get at a fake bracket of actual good Georgetown basketball games that's being done during a global pandemic. So yes, I am, I am hopping mad about this game. They're okay, slightly, they're slightly misfeated. Yes, these these seats should be reversed. There's no question about it. I am furious and angry, and I'm trying not to get you an explicit rating on iTunes, so I'm doing all this not naughty swear words here, but yeah. Um, the, the 2007 pick game is, I can't remember if I put it on my underrated games list, but I forget if I did or not. Um, this is, I think I put this on Twitter the other day. Amazing, this is the, this game had the fifth highest home attendance for a Georgetown game ever. You are definitely an, an, an attendance guy. No, I am. Yes, I am an attendance guy. But yeah, I had to look it up. I did look this up on, on John Reagan's website. So HoyaBasketball.com, by the way, amazing resource. I had a feeling this had a really good attendance. Um, yeah, it's actually, this game had more people at it than the Duke game in 2006. Um, it's one of like probably about a handful. It's probably like seven or eight-ish um, Georgetown games ever that totally sold out the Cap One or Verizon or MCI Center. Um, and this is one of them. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, and this is a subjective opinion, yeah, I've been going to games for 20 years. This, to me, was one of probably the top five or so crowds for a game, um, particularly in the second half. Yeah, there was a great – it wasn't the hugest comeback in the world. I think we were down eight. Um, but there's a really great comeback that kind of goes in slow motion. I think we take the lead, like, right around the under-four timeout. Um, there is – I'm thinking, like, moment, like, singular moments, like, single plays that made the crowd go nuts. There's a play – I think we're up two and pitch shooting free throws and then they miss both and get an offensive rebound, but John Wallace makes a steal kind of near half court and goes in for a layup. That's up there for like the top three, four, five, like single play crowd reactions I've heard in 20 years at the, the arena. It's really amazing. That game, the highlights of that game are on YouTube. You can watch those. Um, it's just, it's a really good game. And I, I think it's how he pointed out. This was, was the 14th game of the Big East season. This is when it was, I think it was the last year it was 16 games for the conference schedule. And so after this game, this was the game that broke the tie for first place between us and Pitt. Um, and so we ended up losing the next game to Syracuse, but Pitt lost on the last game of the regular season. So we won the Big East solo basically because of this game. Um, so it's got some significance. I happen to remember this one pretty fondly, right? I mean, it's got the whole, kind of thing of being towards the end of the 2007 season. Um, you know, another thing I would point out, um, games are always better if you can shorthand them. 
into like one, oh, it was this game, you know, either in one sentence or like a phrase. This is the Levance Field chest bump game. And there is nothing that gets fans more randomly spun up than if an opponent enjoys themselves on your home court, right? Is the, is the Seton Hall game from last year on here in the bracket somewhere? I forget. What, with uh, Quincy? Yeah, with, the, with Quincy yes, and I slapping the, the floor, it, right? Yeah, the right. Akinjo floor slap game. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that get said so irrational. And I mean, at the time, that like got people so irrationally pissed off, when, especially in the moment when Pitt did it at the game, um, that like if you can shorthand a game, whereas like the Notre Dame game, I actually I actually YouTubed it before I came in to to call you guys because um, I was like I actually don't remember anything about that game. Like I know we won it. I know like when in the season it happened, but I was like, did anything notable happen in that game? And there's actually there randomly are highlights from that game on YouTube. It's like, eh, yeah, yeah, yes, I guess. So here's yeah. what happened in that game. Georgetown completely dominated after they just lost Greg Winnington. And they had lost outside, outside, they had lost at USF and it was looking like NIT, right? That was kind of, that was kind of the deal. I can tell you about this. I I have a pretty big thing where I don't like watching sports out. Like if there's a game I care about, I don't want to meet you at a bar to watch it because there's just too many things happening. It's hard to get a drink. Next thing you know, you missed a couple minutes and like, I want to pay attention. So a bunch of my friends are trying to get me to go out that night. And I was just like, you know, I need to sit in isolation as Georgetown's season just completely unravels. And they just went to South Bend and completely dominated. Um, obviously, the 2007 season ended way better than the 2013 season ended. So I get when you look back at the seasons, you're like, well, does it did it really matter? But I think in that moment, it did. And then that, that was the game where they went on a huge winning streak. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me hop in there on, on two things. So I, I think, look, I, the, the, the win against Pitt should not be a 12 seed. Um, it, that said, you're right. It was, it was very close. It was one versus two. It was meaningful. It was the end of the B's regular season. It effectively clinched the one seed for us. Um, at the same time, it was a disgusting game to watch. Pittsburgh in that game had 22 offensive rebounds, I think was that stat. We got out-rebounded by 20. We did not shoot the ball well. We ended up winning the game basically because we shot like 15 more free throws. And there were late-game dramatics. It was, it was exciting. But as a game itself, that game, was, it, was, it was painful. Um, and then just to touch on something Bobby said, that win against Notre Dame in that season. And these are, these are two seasons that resulted in Georgetown winning the Big East regular season. Obviously, the end of 2013 wasn't as positive as the end of 2007. <laughs> That's the nicest <laughs> way to ever say that. <laughs> that. That said, that win at Notre Dame, as Bobby just said, so we were, uh, you know. Two and this three was, in the Big East. Two, two and three in the Big East. This was the first win in that miraculous run that came out of nowhere. It was just after Greg Whittington had, le- had left the team, just after we had gotten – blown out at home, just punished at home by Pittsburgh, and then lost that game at the Sun Dome to South Florida. And out of nowhere, we lead this game from start to finish. We played beautiful basketball. And, you know, this was, I think, this is Notre Dame's lowest point total of the season, lowest assist total, lowest field goal percentage, 
Luke Harangody was 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 on that team. This was our last ever game. You know what? This might be our last game against Notre Dame. Period. So our last game against Notre Dame was our win at Notre Dame in 2013. I, this this one to me this has aged like a fine wine. Uh, we really <laughs> we we really we we beat up on Notre Dame at Notre Dame, which was a place where we typically found it really frustrating uh, to to get W's. So we we beat up on that team. It kicked off the huge winning streak. You know, we 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 leave Purcell with a win, and we did it in really good fashion. We just looked great in that game. You're right. That is the last time they faced the Irish. Um, going back to what John said about the pit game, for whatever reason, I keep getting the 2006 and the 2007 home pit games mixed up. Both of them were comebacks. The 2006 was a bigger comeback, and it has a better seed in this tournament. Spoiler alert, if that game's not already out yet. But when John said that Georgetown was down eight, being down eight the way that those teams played was like a huge deal. Like it's not like being down eight in the NBA, right? Like being down eight in a Georgetown pit game from the mid 2000s, that's like a pretty bad place to be. <laughs> I mean, so it's also like that game had a pretty significant, like that being down eight was off like about, it was on like an 18 to five, 18 to three kind of run. Like, and that was actually going into that timeout when they were down eight was when the chest bump happened. And like, it's one of those random things, like the crowd sort of got galvanized by that thing. And, you know, it, it, that's a significant, there, there are stakes in that game. Like, I don't want to minimize the importance of a, the Notre Dame game because it did kick off an 11 game winning streak that also resulted in a team, you know, winning the Big East regular season, or at least being the number one seed. Um, I think maybe it's one of those things, one thing I would say about the Notre Dame game is we often as a fan base have over time have constructed these narratives about things that were supposed turning points in the season. I think we're going to get to one of the games here in a few minutes too. Um, like the game at Duke in 2009 was sort of where that team unraveled, right? You know, this Notre Dame game was where that team turned everything around. Maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know if like that was some magical mm-hmm. switch. I'd actually love to hear from, the players on the team, if there really was something that went on during that road trip that like flipped the switch for that, but they all of a sudden went off. But um, so I will say, I, having watched the house, yeah. they did play really well. Yeah, look, I look, I, I think that's totally fair. And that run you're talking about, it might have actually, we were down, we were down eight, it might have actually been like in, in one of those two games, I don't remember which one, there was an 18 0 run, maybe it was the Notre Dame game, I think there was an, there was like an 18 0 second half run to pull away and you know i i think part of the reason this game is seated where it is aside from the reasons i just gave this was also the last season that notre dame was in the conference it was the last season of the old big east uh and for the, for those of us who may have gone to college during the Escher years and remember fondly certain experiences <laughs> like sitting behind the basket during a f- four overtime loss the 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 rivalry with Notre Dame had was right up there with the rivalry with Syracuse for you know the better part of six seven years and so winning the way we did in 2013 in the last game takes a little bit extra in some people's hearts. I think they're both great memories, and it's great to have the madness brackets to talk about. Ah. That being said, let's move on to one of the other good games we have here, and it is not 
in the madness bracket. We have a 6-11 matchup. Old Dominion winning at McDonough in 2006 is the sixth seed. And Georgetown losing at McDonough to Arkansas State as the 11. Howie, do you want to uh, give us a little bit about this? Yeah, I mean, not really. But that, <laughs> look, the the Old Dominion loss, this this 2006 loss in was it November or December this this came completely out of nowhere this is the first time a JT3 JT3 coach team had ever lost to one of these mid-major schools this game was in McDonough it was snowing outside it, it wasn't pleasant we had was it Vasilius in that game who you know who put up monster numbers and we trailed for most of the game and Remember, this is a team with Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert that eventually went to the Final Four, and they kind of had our way with us. Um, no one expected this result. It was, it was, it was brutal. And I think was this also the game? This was Mark Eggerson was our leading scorer. Yeah. Can I just say how I'm so anti the sadness bracket, but I somehow and I was at this game, and I don't know. I just blacked it out, maybe, but. I cannot believe that Mark Eggerson had a double double. Like I found this out through the sadness bracket. So <laughs> I can't completely dog the sadness bracket. This is something that I now know and I'll never forget it. Yes. The more you know graphics, it's like a little Jack the Bulldogs on stars is coming across the top of your screen right now, Bobby. Yeah. I mean uh, you... so so Howie, were you at either of these games? I was not. Uh well okay. I I was, I might've been at the, actually, I think I was at the Arkansas state game, which, which, yeah. which by the way, just to kind of frame that one really quickly. So the Arkansas state game was 2015 and this was right after. So this is the third game of the season we had. And, and this was, this was the, the first season in, in which, you know, we were coming off a bad season the year before, JT3 said he was going to open up the offense and run and press a little bit more. First game of the year, we played SC Upstate, and we won easily by 35 or 45 points. Uh, it was only one of a handful of times that a JT3 coach team ended up in the hundreds, so there was a lot of optimism after that first game. Second game is when we lost on a Tuesday night at Maryland when you know we were up by seven with five minutes to go it was you know Derrickson's breakout game he looked really good as a freshman a lot of optimism we should have won that game we didn't we were upset and then this Arkansas State game was the first game as part of the Maui Invitational right before we went off to Maui and we got we got pushed around Uh, we we really got pummeled by an Arkansas State team that was not good, wasn't really good for the rest of that season. And you would think we would be hungry after a loss to Maryland right before the trip to Hawaii. Instead, we lost. And, and then we went to Maui, and in, in true to form, we uh, played the mercurial way we played for those few years. We, we won against Oregon and upset them and then, you know, got pushed around again handily by both Wisconsin and and Oklahoma State. But anyway, this Arkansas State game sandwiched in between the Maryland loss and the Oregon win 
was just unexpected and brutal. This is this is my favorite matchup of any of the matchups in either bracket that you that we've seen so far. I like kudos to the people who put together the bracket for putting two McDonald losses in here. That is completely like chef's kiss for the Georgetown sadness bracket. It's this to me, like I think this one ended up really, really close too, if I remember. Um, and I, honestly, it's a, to me, it's a pretty close one. Like when I'm thinking about it too, I I think I, I voted for Arkansas State. I know I voted for Arkansas State, and and here's why. Um, the, the Arkansas State was was not good. They were not a good team. One of the one of the things about ODU, the narrative around the ODU game has always been that this was somehow like a wake up call that the you know 2006-17 needed in order to you know turn things around or you know get themselves like into shape and become the dominant team that they were um actually just as i'm saying this too i remember there were stories that came out after this game that a lot of the players the night before had been out partying at the club or whatever which who cares like they all do that sure um but that was a random thing that came out oh, maybe they weren't prepared for this they weren't taking it seriously enough um but the narrative's always been this was somehow a wake-up call, which is kind of odd to me for a few reasons. Um, it's the third game of the season. Um, they lost two more non-conference games after that. None of their non-conference losses, including this game, were bad. Um, ODU, we think of ODU as, oh, my God, how could you lose to ODU? They made the tournament that year in that large. They were not a bad team. Um, yeah, because they won at Georgetown. <laughs> well, it was probably part of it, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, hey, look, only only six Big East teams made the 2007 tournament. So you're talking ODU to make it as that large is roughly on the level of, like, yeah. I think Villanova was the last that large team from the Big East. Syracuse didn't make it that year. West Virginia didn't make it that year. So I, I give it, I give a nod to Arkansas State because a far worse team. I, I, I was at both games. The ODU game, you know, going into the what became the final four year off of the Sweet 16 year, you know, it's still a really big deal to have a McDonough game, especially against a, a decent opponent. So tons of students there, tons of fans there. They had, of course, a section roped off for ODU and ODU travel because it's, you know, Norfolk's not that far away, even on a weeknight. Um, so it's a full overstuffed McDonough at that game. Arkansas State, I went into the box score to look at what the announced attendance was for that game. And it says 2136. And I wrote my notes next to it, LOL. Um, McDonough was Dad, looking that night, it was barely half full. If that, it was it was honestly kind of pathetic. Um, and I actually sat up at the top of one of the bleacher stands, directly behind Georgetown's bench. And I think I, I tweeted something during the game about how like it was really revealing to watch JT3 coach during that game. And I didn't really elaborate on it at the time. This was just a few days before the Twitter rant that got me kicked out of the hoop club. But what I meant by that was I watched it. I watched JT3 coaching that game, and honestly, he didn't have the first idea what he was doing. I watched him like go through most of that game just staring blankly off in the space. I, I knew that was the game that actually like turned me on JT3 because I was like, oh, we're getting beat by 23, and he's got no clue. He was completely clueless as to what to do. I mean, do you really think that? I mean, I, I, think, I think he had I mean, a he clue. Has, he has a more he has a more reserved personality, but like the amount of actual coaching and figuring it out that was going on in that game was pretty close to nil. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'll weigh in. I was at both games. Um. I think it has to go to Arkansas State. Uh, 
the game against ODU. And I think, Howie, did you say it was snowing? I think that was the game the next time they lost to ODU where it, where it snowed. I don't think that was a snow game. Unless I thought also for some reason snow. it was snowing. I thought it was snowing during both games. but Okay, no, yeah, I just want to make sure. Yeah. Because yeah. as I was saying, I was at the game, I was like, wait, one of the rare times I've missed a game, like, I don't know, in my life since I could start going to games was the one, was the one, like the next one where there was like a legit blizzard and I was unable to make it. So I just wanted to to bring that up. But um, yeah, leaving, leaving McDonough up, they lost to ODU. It was like, look, this team's fine. You know, like it's crazy that they lost. I think, I think that was the game that snapped their winning streak at McDonough. They had, you know, over the years, they had won like 30 games or something in a row there over like a long period of time. They, they they literally had not lost there in twenty five years. Right. Yeah. So, but you know, they, had, they probably hadn't even ball. they probably hadn't even played there twenty five times. But yeah, no. I mean, and usually the ODU games were reserved for like Stetson or mm-hmm. or the time that they actually beat Radford. Right. I think they put up like a hundred against Radford. Yeah. Um. So usually games like that, some NIT games where I guess you could lose, but losing the the game to Arkansas State, and I was covering it. And um, where they have the media sit, the students were right behind us, and the student section had completely turned against JT3. And, you know, obviously knowing what we know happened and the way that season unraveled after blowing the Maryland game, you know, blowing this game before going to Maui, Isaac Copeland leaves a couple weeks later, The se- you know, it's just, it's it's the end. So I know we talked about underseeded games in the last in our, our last matchup, I think you could probably, I like this matchup, um, but much like mid-majors kind of get matched up against each other and only one can advance, only one McDonough yeah. game can can advance here. Um, yeah. I think Arkansas State can be a much higher seed, but it's a, it's a great matchup. And I'm, I'm going to go Arkansas State. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 give, I give the nod to Old Dominion on this one. I just... For me, obviously, they were both just terrible losses, uh, even though you're right. That was a really good Old Dominion team, and that was not a very good Arkansas State team. But that was also a really good Georgetown team. And to lose that game at McDonough the way we did was, was painful. Uh, the, the Arkansas State loss, at the time, it was more, for me, frustration that we were going to have to deal with this narrative again that JT3 just loses to mid-major teams. And... It, I, it was it was really frustration. I don't think this was the game that ultimately was the straw that broke the camel's back and you know turned the campus against him. I think it had more to do with those last two games in Maui and on national TV to see the way we were out rebounded against Wisconsin and just blown out against Oklahoma State. That sent a much bigger message than the loss to Arkansas State. But when you put it all together you know we that season got off to a two and four start and we never recovered so who's that so which team so the arkansas state coach moved on and i'm trying to remember which program he coaches now that we've played recently i think it's north texas it's north texas yeah we had sort of like a little bit of trouble with them too like it's the the offensive style i know it's different coaches now between jt3 and ewing but there was something about the the style just of, of arkansas state in the same way that ohio's offense just befuddled us that yeah there's something about certain teams um i'm looking at the probability graph on ken palm and it's just basically like a straight line with a slope of one (laughs) so (laughs) for the arkansas state game yeah 
Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, like, in that game, I, I had slightly misremembered it. Actually, the largest deficit of that game was in the first half. Like, they really kicked their ass in the first half. Yeah, so they had a 16-2 to two run at one point. And even with that, at halftime, it was basically a 50-50 game. I think I think Jesse made a bunch of threes to kind of get it closer. I say that, I can I can say with certainty. Uh, yeah, Jesse was seven for ten. Actually, no, he didn't make any threes. I'm an idiot. He was seven for ten okay. from the field. But um, I remember Jagan having a pretty rough open. Yeah, Jagan was zero for six from three, which yeah. is kind of crazy to imagine it, a game where he shot six threes, right? That, well, there was a few of those too. Like we, I can't remember how close the game got. It may have been within four. Like there was a really long, drawn out comeback that we were trying to make. And Jagan, God bless him, was a freshman that year, I think. Yeah, that blessing had like two or three, like in the last few minutes, we gave just completely wide open threes in the corner. Yeah. It didn't go down. And it was like, oh, like you knew you weren't going to come back and win this game. Like if uh, those shots aren't going down, it's just not your night. Georgetown was three for 20 from deep that day. Arkansas State was six. That's right. Oh, why do we do this to ourselves? So the, oh, since this I'm sorry. Obviously... So this was, this was, was this 2016? Arkansas State. Or 2000, was this 2015 16, or 2016? Season. It was 16-17. Okay, so uh, strike my description of the Maryland game that we lost because it was actually the Maryland game, was, Maryland was, game that we lost game. at home. Yes. Yeah. So, so, it was, so then it was immediately after the, the far more brutal home loss we had to Maryland, uh, which was one week after the presidential election and uh, so yeah, so it was back-to-back years with brutal losses to Maryland, but I guess the one that I described was the year before then, if this was 2016. Yeah, in this game, actually, Derrickson was hurt and didn't play. Hmm. Um, but, so since this is all about hypotheticals, this is one that I stand by, and I'm sure that means one of you will definitely, like, completely disagree with me. What do you think the result of this game is if they beat Maryland? the same do they win do they lose by more like i won't tell you what i think but if you can just tell me i mean considering that i think the next game they played after this they beat oregon who made the final four like i don't i don't think the game's any different like the thing i I, guess i've learned about yeah i guess i've learned about later jt3 teams is like jt3 teams are going to jt3 team like I think this is classic. I think this is classic. You know, don't let one loss. You know, don't let one loss become two losses, right? And you sandwich in a game. I don't know if this was part of Maui, like if this was one of those mainland games or whatever. But it was. Yeah. It just seems to me this is a game that's sort of mandatory fun. Like, okay, you're a college basketball player. You want to play games, but you play Maryland. You blow it. Like you're devastated. You're thinking about Maui. Oh, by the way, you have to play Arkansas State. And then you go and just lay a complete egg, make a comeback, fail, you lose. So that's the way I've always sort of looked at it. But you guys disagree, which is what I expected. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, you, know, you know what? I'll just say maybe, maybe one final point on this. Those, I, I mean, so that stretch right there, you've got uh, losing at home to Maryland, losing at home to Arkansas State. Yeah, we got that win against Oregon, but then getting beaten up by Wisconsin and blown out 
by Oklahoma State, those four losses over the span of 10 days are all in the bracket. Eight days, yeah. 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 And there's a game a little bit after that that doesn't make the bracket is they held on for dear life to beat Elon a little bit later. (laughs) And then they somehow go to the Carrier Dome and get a W. So, whatever. Whatever. Are we ready for the... That carrier dome game, I'll just like one quick note on this one. My wife very nearly broke her, I think it was her thumb, because she was so mad after that game that we had won it. And like, I think she was like cursing out JT3 and like threw her arm out or something walking into the kitchen and like nailed her arm on the wall. So it very nearly caused injury to yourself because you've gotten to the point as a fan where you are so angry that the team is actually winning games that we are clearly in a, a, a terrific place as a program. I mean, it's so hard to imagine that um, this, you know, there, this was a, this was a period where the Hoya Hoop Club and you kind of went in different ways. <laughs> they were letting me tweet on their account at this time. <laughs> what did they know? Well, okay. I mean, where's, their, where's their account now? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. So the last matchup of consequence here is a good one well the games are good the seasons weren't but whatever let's go 2008-2009 season which we know Georgetown in the 8-9 game just destroys Maryland down in Orlando over Thanksgiving weekend and matched up against the Georgetown Butler Isaac Copeland shot from 2015 this is an 8-9 matchup Howie real quick yeah, I don't have my summaries in front of me here, but I like do. You said old. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just, Go I, just, for it. I just wanted to, you know, defer to you since this is kind of your this kind of your uh, baby here. So yeah, so it was it was an NFL Sunday, and I will take to my grave that when Georgetown and Maryland play, and it's not until if they play during the NFL, it just doesn't get a lot of attention. But this one happened in Florida a Georgetown team that everyone thought was still, you know, this is, you know, Georgetown, this is what they do. Georgetown's a good team. They've, you know, been building. They led by almost 40 points at one point. Grievous was held to two. It's the first time they had played since the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 game, correct? Yep. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, you know, Georgetown had one of those days where the Princeton offense, I think Gary was just, you know, we're not going to play zone. And if you did not play zone against Georgetown, it was probably stupid, right? And Georgetown made him pay. It didn't get a lot of fanfare back home from what I can remember. I think John Thompson Jr. was still on the radio. And one of the things he would always say when him and Doc would talk about the rivalry was, it's not a big deal if Georgetown wins. It's only a big deal if Maryland wins. There's no point of playing. And that was always his sort of perspective. And, you know, you have to kind of go with him on that. But it definitely held out to be true. And... The Georgetown Butler game was part of a great season. Well, it was a good, yeah, it was a good season in that this last time they made the NCAA tournament. But it looked like it was Isaac Copeland's coming out party, and looks like Howie has written that as well. So good, good for that. Um, Roosevelt Jones had twenty eight points. I know he was sort of a very unique player in that it looked like he was already playing in pickup league adult games. That's the kind of game he couldn't shoot, but you know. And he got to the 
he almost was able to tie the game up. It was 61-59 Georgetown. I don't have Rich Shavakin's call, but uh, DSR, of all people, blocked Roosevelt Jones towards the end of Butler's last um, heave at the basket. Yeah, to me, this is as close as it gets. I think these are very properly seated uh, in the 8-9 matchup. Uh, Look, the the Maryland win, just the the D.C. area rivalry, the first time we faced them since the tournament, the fact that we just bludgeoned them and were up by 38 points at, at one point in the game held Grievous Vasquez to only two. the two points. And, and also, this is the first time that season and that 08-09 team was a really good team that just happened to not go to the tournament for some crazy, crazy reason. But this was Chris Wright and Austin Freeman and Greg Monroe and Julian Vaughn and, and Jesse others. Sapp. Jesse, Jesse Sapp. And it was just, it was a really good team. And we had, we had wins like this. We had wins against Villanova and Syracuse and Memphis and UConn that season. Uh, I think we beat four teams that went to the Sweet 16 and two teams that went to the Final Four. And yet, the way we finished in from mid-January until the end of February was, was pretty brutal. But this was the first win that season where it was poetic to watch us play. I mean, it, the way we beat up Maryland was the same way we kind of looked against Duke in that famous 2006 game with the backdoor cuts and just everything yeah. was coming together. It was, it was kind of a thing of... It was a thing of beauty. Uh, it's too bad, you know, a lot of people probably didn't see the game on a, on a Sunday afternoon during football season. Uh, but that Butler win was, I think it was Martin Luther King night, and this was two days after we had just beaten Villanova. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, this was 2015, right? Yeah. The only thing I remember is the game was definitely during the day. What was? The Butler game. Are you sure? I'm almost positive it was during the day. Yeah, the Saturday game. I can remember who. I remember going over to somebody's house after the game. You're right. You're right. It is. It, it is a Saturday game. It uh, the they beat Villanova the next on MLK is what happened. Okay. So the okay. So this was the Saturday afternoon game against Butler, and the Monday night game was against Villanova. Yeah, I know it wasn't uh, a day yeah. game on MLK because the Wizards always always play. So. That's a good point. In any event, right? This was this was Isaac Copeland's first really big shot. The five star. Uh, I just remember. Right. So that's right. This was. I remember right after the shot, Jabril running over to him and just chest bumping him and almost knocking him down. I remember the Rich Vodkin call and the DSR block on Rosie Jones as he missed a shot with, you know, at, at the buzzer. This was a big win at the time, and it was a huge weekend for the program, and it was probably the first really meaningful, you know, series of games that we had put together, our best stretch since 2013. So that was a kind of the last really fun time to be a Georgetown fan. And that was over five years ago. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're close. Yeah. I, I, I forget which game I even voted for. Um, it's a fun game. The Maryland game was really fun. Um, I was I actually was at the game. Um, my sister lived in Orlando at the time. So I went down there for Thanksgiving. That was gonna be Highly recommend any, Anytime you have the opportunity to go to one of the random like non-conference tournaments someplace sunny, do it. It is really fun and really random. Um, 
that game, that game's super fun. We, we, we killed them. Um, the Butler game, really significant. Like, that was a really, really good crowd. Like, I feel like I'd have to go back and look, but I feel like there were a lot of people at that game. Um, it might have even been one of those, like, alumni weekend games where they try to get a lot of people at it. Um, but, you know, it actually has a really good, aside from Copeland's shot and the, the block at the buzzer, has a really good last minute, too, actually. Um, Butler has the ball up one with like 50, 45 seconds left, and Trollick just rips the ball at midcourt to get the possession back for us. And then DSR actually ends up hitting one of like the sort of typical foul line pull-up shots he hits to give us the one-point lead. Roosevelt Jones hits a – you can imagine in your head the exact shot Roosevelt Jones hits. Um, it's the same shot he hits every time. Um, but, yeah, like the – the, the last play was Copeland, too. It's really cool about that play. I don't know if it was designed this way or Trollick just did it kind of unintentionally, but Copeland's man is playing a – Copeland's in the, the corner on the near sideline. He's, he's playing defense in a way that I think would make the 2019-20 version of the Hoyas proud. He has one and a half feet in the paint. Um, he's playing, like, extremely, like, unintentional pack line defense here. And Trollick tries to drive to the left, and as he kicks it out to Copeland, he, like, inadvertently, like, brush screens Copeland's guy, gets in between him and Copeland. And so Copeland had a completely wide-open shot with, like, really no reason with, like, three or four seconds to go. But it's a really well-run and maybe even designed play. So that was a really and, cool and, game. and actually, and, and yet, I remember, at the, I think we were down one at the time, and Copeland hit a three. And I, I remember at the time thinking, there's no way that's what was called right after the timeout. <laughs> and also that 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 wasn't necessarily the best shot. I, I remember when the shot went up, I was like, "Wait, what? Like, h- how is this call?" You know, Isaac Copeland with a with a baseline three when we're down one, and there were still I think like seven seconds left in the game. There was still you know a decent decent amount of time left, and we had a chance to get the ball inside. When the when the shot was leaving his hands, I was like, "What?" And then it went in, and everyone freaked out, and it was awesome. Yeah, we had only, we only had like ten or so seconds for the entire possession, and Trout was basically like. Semi hurries the ball up court and he really doesn't even hesitate. He kind of just goes straight into the move, which makes me wonder like if it ha- if it really wasn't called that way, because he very like seemingly intentionally, as he kicks the ball, like kind of turns his back to the defender and kind of glides by him and like deliberately gets in the way. And I I, I kind of wonder if that's what they did call. Well, you guys do know right, and we I mean I heard it a million times. It's never a specific play right? You're supposed to be reading what the defense gives you. So like every open sure. shot, if you don't take it, it's bad is what JT three would always tell us in these, you know, these media availabilities. So, you know, they probably weren't running that play. It was okay. You're open. You shoot it. Maybe. Yeah. I'm trying to find the attendance. I can't. Do you know the picture on this? The picture on GU Hoyas is, it looks like it's Ryan Williams picking up Copeland. I hope that. <laughs> Classic Ryan Williams. If it's if it's if it's not Ryan Williams, it's Aaron Bowen, and I want to apologize, but I, I, it looks like it's it looks like it's Ryan Williams. Uh, looking back, I think it's probably Maryland because if if Georgetown doesn't win that game against Maryland, when's the last time that they beat them? You know what I mean? I think that that was important. And maybe that's me skewing it for my childhood of growing up with some Maryland fans. Cause you lose that game in the cap center, like in 93, 94, 
or maybe, maybe it's even earlier. Maybe it's 92, 93, whatever it is. So you lose that one, you lose in the Sweet 16. You know, we don't know that the losses are coming. <laughs> but, you know, that's their last win against Maryland. I think that's kind of a big deal. But it's really close. Yeah. So speaking of really close, and these these matchups are great. They're going to keep continuing, and they're going to keep giving us something to get together and talk about. So even though I don't like the sadness, I will begrudgingly say that I'm beginning to warm up to the sadness. Speaking of sadness, Georgetown this week, you know, it's common to lose out on recruits because, you know, you can only get, you know, four or five a year. So you go after tons of recruits, you don't get them, you move on, whatever. I don't think we've seen this yet. A local kid, Baltimore, I'm going to, I'm going to say that that's local, an area that I think would be great if Georgetown can get more players from, they lose a recruit, Brandon Murray, who's supposed to be a pretty good guard. George Hunt could absolutely need him. He ends up going to prep school. And I don't think we've seen this yet, right? Like, we're all used to, you know, Nerland's Noel deciding he's going to Kentucky, even though everyone thinks he's coming here and all these different things happening. But I don't think we've seen someone announce on Instagram that they're going to go to prep school instead of coming to Georgetown. Among other, It wasn't like it was Georgetown or prep school. It was There was a couple other schools involved. John? I know that you had some thoughts on this. That's a first. Yes, I I think so. Um, You know, I think I've mentioned on here before, I don't, I don't want to say I don't follow recruiting, but I've sort of made the conscious decision that like, I just don't have the time or the, the, the mental energy to like wade through all the different recruiting sites and videos and, sort of imperfect information you're always working with when you're dealing with you know news about recruiting i tend to follow recruiting exclusively through just reading casual hoya and hoya talk and things people retweet onto their timelines like i think it's actually a fascinating study in the psychology of a fan base like i just can't wrap my head around like where to go for news and like who's leaning where and who's reliable and who's not but like as a psychological study it's amazing um but this one like gosh this recruitment to me has always felt like at least just purely reading what's been posted online by Georgetown fans and sort of reading between the lines. It has always felt like a case where the fan base at some point decided like this was a guy they really liked. And they, and, and we do this as Georgetown fans with players, you know, all the time. It happens multiple times a year. We lock in on a particular player like this is the guy. And we sort of collectively become almost obsessed with somebody. And occasionally it just feels like, to put it simply, I don't think the coaching staff really seemed to be as interested in this player as the fan base was. I think the fan base was really trying to make it happen. And I just think for whatever reason, they just never was going to. And they sort of set themselves up for disappointment here. Um, because it's Georgetown, we can't just bow out in the tournament. We have to get, you know, multiple alley you dunked on by Dunk City. Of course, he's going to make an Instagram video about going to a prep school, right? But it just this one felt really strange. Yeah, I, I didn't actually, I didn't even bat an eye for over this one. Uh, to be honest, I don't really care all that much. Just wake me up when we get some top recruits, or I really just wake me up when we get any recruits to come. Uh, but the the one thing I thought of when I saw that he was going back to school for another year was, imagine if Stephen Domingo hadn't green shirted, and imagine if Stephen Domingo didn't come to Georgetown that season. You took do it we end such up a getting, path. Do, do, we, do, we end, do we end up getting Josh Hart? Do we end you, up I mean, benefiting from Josh Hart? Scott, do we, Scott, Villanova Scott, never Scott, win? 
Look, God bless you, Stephen Domingo. I am not mad at you, but is Stephen Domingo on the cynical bracket? Like, can we treat Stephen Domingo's recruitment as part of the cynical bracket? <laughs> well, how we started out doing the very, um, you know, rational thing of being like, look, it's recruiting, it's stupid. Like, I wasn't worried about it. And then taking it to such a terrible place so <laughs> fast. Like, there was just no sign that that was coming. Um, getting back to what John was talking about, I think the fan base latched onto this because he's kind of, you know, Brandon Murray, by all accounts, kind of like a little bit of a diamond in the rough. He's local. I know maybe that's just me because I'm so into local kids. I think it's so, so important to get local kids. But when you look at who he was down to, I think it was East Tennessee State and Rhode Island and Georgia and Georgetown. And I might be forgetting somebody, DePaul or Butler or something like that. So he was local. He's a guard. He's a wing, which we had like none of them last year, right? Like if anyone got hurt at the end, like we were, I mean, we had no one left. So he fills a need to be a freshman on a, you know, a team next year that's probably not going to do very much. It just seemed like a very winnable recruit, right? Like you're going to, you know, if you, if you can beat Tom Crean, you can keep this kid local. This is what Georgetown needs. And I think absent a big time grad transfer, which hasn't happened yet. It just seemed, I think it, it, this guy for me, at least checked all the boxes. I'm not saying that I, you know, I thought he was going to go to Georgetown. I did find it interesting that he decided to have an announcement to go to a prep school. And you know what? Maybe he's doing that because he needs to, not, you know, another year before he attends college. Uh, maybe he wants to get recruited by a quote unquote blue blood. Who knows? But it just seemed awfully unusual that he had an announcement to go back to prep school. Um, staying in the recruiting, I cover a lot of George Mason games. It's really close to where I live. Uh, followed the program for a long time. Uh, Justin Kyer, who is going to be a fifth-year senior grad transfer, came out with his list the other night. Georgetown was on it. George Mason, which he had left open the chance that he might stay at George Mason, which never seemed a realistic option to me, but whatever. Um, he's still there for Georgetown. and He's probably one of the better grad transfers out there. And he's a guard. You can't count him local, but he is from Virginia. So that kind of checks my box. But I think that if Justin Kyer, if, if if Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, whoever's recruiting him the most, I don't know which assistant, that would be a pretty big get because I think he's one of the better grad transfers out there. And usually those are the kind of players that want to go to a school that they're probably almost not guaranteed, but more likely to make the NCAA tournament. So I think that was a pretty, a pretty big, well, I guess it's just a top seven, but I think it was a very positive sign for Georgetown to be in Kyer's, Kyer's final uh, list of schools. And that you pretty much summed up this, you summed up the state of the program where we've got a high school kid choosing a, to go to a prep school over the chance to play at Georgetown and us getting really excited that a <laughs> local, local kid has included us in his top seven. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. A bit. He's a legitimate. I mean, I don't know much about the kid from Arkansas, but Justin Kyer is. That's he's a pretty good wing player. He's a pretty good scorer, pretty good three point shooter, an, an all A ten guy, and he wouldn't have to move his stuff very far from Fairfax to DC. So Georgetown could have that going for them. He's going to be in the mix with some other schools too. But you know, I thought if we're going to point out the absurdity of losing a recruitment war to IMG Academy 
it seemed fair to bring up that the staff's doing a good job with Justin Kyer. Um, do we want to talk about the Hoya, the Hoya, the fan? I guess I was going to say hoop club. It was not affiliated with the hoop club, but there was a Hoya fan happy hour on zoom that I decided to join. And it sounds like John, well, I can tell you, John was not there, but it went horribly wrong. It went horribly wrong. And I know. So so somehow, so what you're saying, Bobby, is somehow (laughs) a recruit made a video to commit to a IMG Academy over us. Yes. And that was by far not the weirdest or the worst technology-related thing that happened to Georgetown fans this week. I mean, all of us are dealing with Zooms in our life or whatever you want, whatever method of video conferencing you're doing right now. I'd heard that people had been hacking into Zooms and, you know, this and that, and it was bad. And I, you know, like most things, when it, it, until it happens to you, you don't really, I don't know, care or worry about it. But what happened in that Zoom is something that I'm not going to forget for a long time. And so... The so fact you, that, you said to me, you said to me, what you were describing, trying to describe it to me was that there was some sort of like unspeakable video played, which to me, in my mind, I'm thinking they showed the Arkansas State game. Trust me, I would take that a million times out of a million over what made its way onto my screen. Oh God, they showed the Ohio game. <laughs> oh man, so. So, so actually, I do want to know, like, when 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 these when the, when the Zoom happy hours and there's been more, there's been ones that have been successful, right? I think that was the second one, and okay. I, like like again, I saw it on Twitter. I don't follow a guy that set it up, okay. and it's you know it's someone that I've definitely spoken to and you know conversed with back and forth. Howie, this is what you're missing with Twitter, man. Um, Howie, don't do it. I'm, I'm missing. It. I'm missing nothing. <laughs> But so, you know, bravo. And I, I, I recognize some of the people in there. Um, I don't want to give out names just because something went so horribly wrong. I don't want anyone to be associated with the Zoom that happened. But the next time we do it, there has to be some sort of uh, encrypted or there's got to be some sort of secure way to do this. This is a password, Dashrek. <laughs> password is double fist. Um, there, there, there you go. Okay, so Eshrick is an old-timer. Speaking of old-timers, we found out who we're playing in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. Huggy Bear is coming back to Capital One Arena, assuming that there is a season. What, what, what's your guys' take on this? Uh, Georgetown had a pretty good record against West Virginia in the Big East, but if you look at the way the most recent results went, they were kind of one of JT3's teams, along with like Cincinnati, that sort of figured out a way to just kind of... Ut- out tough Georgetown. Yeah, I mean, so I guess, you know, I was curious. I looked through the list of all the matchups in the Big, Big East Big 12 Challenge. I guess it's harder than you think. You know, I was thinking, you know, if you're envisioning a basketball, a normal basketball season even happening in, in 2020, 2021, um, if, if you have these interconference challenges, do you envision, for instance, like West Virginia Georgetown makes sense because they're geographically about as roughly as close as you can get. Yeah, there's some Midwestern schools. I think Creighton's playing Kansas. I mean, those are sort of close, you know, Lawrence and Omaha. You know, some of the East Coast Big East schools is a little bit tougher. Um, but it, it makes sense geographically. I think of the schools that was realistic, we were going to play the Big 12 is not going to send Kansas, play Georgetown in 
winter of 2020 with, uh, you know, Georgetown in the state that they are right now. So West Virginia, the schools that were realistic we could get, probably by far the best case scenario. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, if we're not going to have, you know, 15, 20,000 people at the arena, it's better to have 11, 12 than it is to have eight, even if you're going to have two or 3,000 West Virginia fans. They're, they're rowdy. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to it. I mean, I, I think everyone's probably looking forward to it because nobody at Georgetown likes West Virginia. Nobody at Georgetown likes Bob Huggins. These are exactly <laughs> West Virginia, Xavier, Cincinnati. These are, these are the teams that, and, and eventually Providence, these are the teams that push us around uh, during many of the JT3 years. Uh, it was great beating West Virginia in the NIT at McDonough. That, that was fun, but I just have too many flashbacks to home losses to some of these West Virginia teams, losing to West Virginia in the 2010 Big East Championship game, which for some reason I watched the last five minutes of today just to remember it. And yeah, West Virginia that tells you how dark, dark my heart is. Yeah, West Virginia is um, one of those fan bases that's extremely online when it comes to full games. Do you yeah. remember one of the home games at one point was an 11 o'clock tip? Does anyone remember that? I, I don't. But... Yeah, and we, yeah. Were, we were complaining we just weren't ready because of the t- of the early tip. I'm not even sure Georgetown lost that. I just remember they played at 11 one time, and I'm sure it was TV-related. Like, they tried to fit a triple header in, so they needed someone to start at 11. But one of the um, one of the guesses that was thrown out was, it, it gave Mountaineer fans like less time to get completely hammered, uh, which is not true at all, by the way, because as someone that used to watch soccer before going into the Saturday noon games, you can get to like um, you can get to plenty of bars in that area, like at seven o'clock to watch an EPL game and start drinking your face off. So that was never that was never a great idea if that was the reason that they did it. Um, looking back at the series. Uh, Georgetown was the first ever Big East opponent for West Virginia. It was Iverson's um, sophomore year, and Georgetown had to pull off a pretty big comeback to get the win in Morgantown. I think Georgetown was Georgetown was ranked sixth or seventh at that point. And then obviously there was the there was the the Jesse Sapp three, and then the Ewing block at the buzzer in Morgantown. That's the only game I've been to in Morgantown, and it was quite the adventure. That was back when the Hoya Hoop Club used to have bus trips. Yep. And then obviously 2010, um, I was up there in New York for, because of course I was, right? Like, you know I would be there for a Friday and Saturday night in New York. Like, that's what I'm all about. Oh, Bobby, it's, it's, it's a Saturday at that point. The fun's already over for you. No, but I'm saying I was I, I, I was a part of that. I mean, they crushed Marquette yep. on the Friday night. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that was a great, that was a great couple of days. But uh, some pretty memorable moments. And then I, I told people on Twitter today to try and find after Georgetown beat West Virginia in the 2014 NIT at home, Bob Huggins gave like this really depressing um, eulogy of his, of his team. And it's worth finding. I I might have the audio somewhere, but he just, he just kills his team. He just kills his team like very calmly for 15 minutes. And by the next season, he'd got rid of like almost everybody and they were, they were good again. And just shows you what you can do at some schools if you probably are willing to massage the rules. 
you can you can turn your roster around pretty quick. But I, I think I think it's definitely a positive that West Virginia is back on the schedule. And looking at the schedule, assuming everything happens, so the weekend of Thanksgiving on the twenty eighth that that's a Saturday. Georgetown will be either playing Kansas or Virginia or UCLA as part of the Wooden Classic. That's a Saturday. So then they come home on the fifth, and they're of December. They'll be hosting West Virginia, and then based on what history tells us you're probably playing Syracuse on the 12th. That game has been happening on that weekend. They've been playing them on like the 14th, the 15th. So you're looking at like three straight Saturdays of like really good Georgetown matchups. I'm not saying the games will be good, but they're going to be playing like three legitimate opponents, neutral, then home, then away. So that's quite the schedule. Yeah. Just, just on that, on, on, on that point, I think one of the things we took for granted for the better part of a decade was the really great schedules we had under JT3, the non-conference schedules. Uh, the, the first two non-conference schedules we had under Ewing were brutal uh, and really did not put us in a position to make the tournament or challenge us very much. Right. This past year's schedule was fantastic. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, the, the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for putting together a top-notch schedule that kind of kept us in tournament contention throughout the entire season, even through all the ups and downs, because our strength of schedule was so high. Uh, if it's the same going into next season, you know, while our team may not be as good, I kind of commend the staff for, again, giving us a lot of quality games that people want to see and uh, hopefully giving us a chance towards the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. There's really nothing to be gained from, Unless you're just thinking you want to keep your record at a certain spot, there's nothing to be gained from playing a poor schedule. You play a good schedule, it should theoretically make you better for conference play. Um, being on TV in bigger matchups is a positive, I think, for recruiting. I think it, it you know, assuming your your nucleus stays, it, it it's going to help you for the next season. Playing, you know, seven three hundred plus RPIs just accomplishes nothing except sort of guaranteeing yourself a non-losing record. I, I don't see any any benefit of going that route, so it's good. Um, I think Georgetown has seven more open dates, and obviously you're going to play a couple of those games. I'm not advocating that they, they run a Temple-like schedule from when Cheney was there, but to have these matchups that you know are coming is going to be going to be a positive thing. Um, sorry, uh, yeah, John. Just... What's that? No, I was just going to say, just please give us as many matchups against 100 and 200 level teams and don't give us five matchups against 300 level teams. And even if we have kind of one or two matchups against MEAC schools, let's keep it to one and a max of two because, you know, scheduling as, as, as the brother of someone who pays very close attention to these numbers when it comes time to seed and, and, and do all of that, you know, this this is this is really what makes and breaks can make or break your season. So keep those games against the the bad teams, but not against the absolutely horrific teams, because that'll just kill us. I totally agree, uh, John. I think we're going to get out of here soon, and I just want to point out that I did not go full Hoya talk this week. Mm. If you have a choice in life, don't don't go full Hoya talk. You can dabble; nothing's wrong. You can dabble, but Try not to go full high talk yet. Just um, the, one, one, one quick thing, by the way. Just in thinking back to some of these like West Virginia wins over us and games where we would get pushed around. Yeah. What's interesting is 
guys like um, Kudus Wahab, uh, Tim Ego Efe, these are West Virginia players. These are these are these are not guys in the middle who are going to get pushed around on the inside. Uh, and I feel pretty good about their chances of holding up against whoever we have against West Virginia. I don't think we're necessarily going to be very good next year, but those two guys strike me more as the big West Virginia type of players we used to face in the past, rather than your George, your typical sort of Georgetown front court from the last decade. Was well, uh, is Oscar Shebway going to do with West Virginia next year? I can't remember if he's still there. If he is, that's going to be problematic because he is definitely a West Virginia type player. That would like to be a really the, fun matchup. I think the game's going to be problematic for us either way. I don't really oh, like yeah. our chances, but but uh, but with that said, it's we, we've we'll, we will definitely have some size in the middle to kind of hold our own. I mean, who knows if we'll keep it competitive though? Okay, so since we kept talking, I have a chance here to go full Hoya talk. Georgetown in in Big East play, including the Big East tournament games, so they they were sixteen and eleven versus West Virginia. That's good. They went on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Georgetown had an eight game winning streak at some point during the years 1996 and 2012 within the conference. Do you know who Georgetown's coach was during that eight game winning streak against West Virginia? And I have no idea West Virginia was good during this stretch. Cause I, I just don't have West Virginia's season memorized, but do you know who the coach was when Georgetown ripped off eight straight against the ears? Craig Eshrick. Coach was? <laughs> it's Craig Eshrick. <laughs> That, so you know uh, what? You you know what though? I, there, uh, there's there's there, there's a part of me that remembers a home game in I don't know. Let's call it 2002, where we lost that game to West Virginia on two free throws with no time left in the game. Does that ring a bell? I don't. I mean, maybe I'm completely misremembering this, but no, I know, just remember. Now that Bobby mentioned I don't know if I can remember a single West Virginia Georgetown game from the Eshrick era. I'm like racking my brain. I can remember one. The I had a friend and we went to we went to Georgetown games together growing up. His family had season tickets, but then he went to West Virginia. And so we went to the game with some of his friends, and this is like this is like my, you know, this is my buddy. This is right after college. This is this is 03, the 03 season. And we go to the game. And they're just going crazy for West Virginia. I'm like, are you are you serious? And I kind of had a little bit of a problem with it. <laughs> Georgetown won that game 84-82 in overtime. One of my classmates, Ramel Ross, had a pretty big – it was one of his better games. He he had a kind of a up-and-down career with Georgetown. But it was from 2000 until 2003 based on, based on the media guide. I went off the Georgetown media guide, okay? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just looking at the results. The game that you're talking about doesn't really exist unless you're thinking of the 2003 game where they almost lost, but they won in overtime. Um, there's not a game that's coming up here that kind of fits that criteria. Uh, yeah, it, it could be things that I make up to myself in the middle <laughs> of the night in some cold, dark corner of my heart. Okay. Regretting the fact that I've, that this team has become my own. 
I think it's probably it, it might be that 2003 game because they snuck out of the home game with a win, and you know the season, as we know, didn't go the way that everybody was hoping it to go. But uh, yeah, Eshrick ran off a pretty good, pretty good run there. And again, I don't, I'm not sure what was going on with the Mountaineers, but that was my chance to go Hoya talk before we signed off here. Hey, man, after like an hour and a half, it all comes back to Eshrick. It's hard for it not to come back to Eshrick. Really is. Okay, guys. Craig <laughs> Look, I, I won't go that far, but I will say that I'm starting to feel like I maybe gave him too hard of a time. But uh, this was not a hard time. This was a fun time again. Too bad Andrew missed out. I don't know what he's doing. Hopefully he's safe during this crazy weird time that we're all surviving through. But uh, I want to thank everyone for another episode of Kente Corner. You can find us everywhere you find podcasts. If you're listening, you found us. Subscribe, give us a good rating, all that stuff. John, Howie, I appreciate it. Take care, folks. Thanks, man. I'll see you guys. Thank you.